online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. You're listening to the business of food with Asma Khan. This podcast is brought to you by Distill Ventures. At Distill Ventures, we're always on the hunt for the next great drinks idea. We believe that true brand innovation comes from those who are often overlooked. And with our pre-accelerator, we aim to find those founders. With our pre-accelerator, we're searching for founders from underrepresented communities who need the funding and support to kickstart their vision. To apply to Distill Ventures pre-accelerator or to begin your journey in creating a new drinks idea, head to www.distillventures.com now. I'm lucky, I'm very, very lucky that already two of my children work with me. So nothing in the whole world is more pleasurable than working with your, your family and your children. So I hope we will carry on inspiring. I work with so many talented people. I hope my only job is to give them the confidence and the freedom to, to develop their own to their full potential. So today I'm speaking to someone very, very exciting. And if you don't know his name, you definitely know two very important things that he created that you walk past probably every day when you're on the high street or in your area. So I'm, I'm very delighted to be speaking to Julian Metcalf. So the two things that I'd mentioned are, of course, Pret-a-Manger and Itsu. So he's the founder of both of these, but he's a lot more than that. And it's a real delight to speak to you, Julian. Thank you very much for coming on my show. Oh, thank you. To really understand where you are and who you are, I think it would be great for listeners to know how your food business story began. Well, God, I mean, I imagine your listeners are, are all people who love food um, or enjoy understanding more about food, or maybe they maybe they cook or, or review restaurants or whatever, but I love food food. Um, I think it's magical and I've always been fascinated by it, traveling and eating different different cultures. And it's just it's just one of the most wonderful, exciting things uh, we're blessed with as, as human beings. I just it's endless. So from a very young age, I was fascinated by it. And I was lucky enough to visit my sister in New York when I was young and my brother in Paris when I was young. And I really saw then what they were doing in 1985, 1984, actually, how, how different their food was let alone when I traveled to around Europe and 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 when I first went to Japan that's when I really really saw the the beauty of of what food could be so like all of your listeners I just love I love food so this whole idea that why would you think people would want posh sandwiches because that's (laughs) how you began (laughs) good question you know the thing is they weren't I never wanted to do posh sandwiches I just wanted to do uh, lunchtime food which was made with really lovely ingredients and therefore I wanted to cr- try and create food which wasn't expensive but had really good quality and interesting flavors and textures and it did cost a few pence more but in those days 1986 when we opened you could still buy a fantastic sandwich for two pounds fifty I think our egg sandwich was 99p actually when we started we used to cook everything there in victoria oh the food was it was just and sell food for three pounds two pounds but no i didn't want it to be posh i just wanted it to be delicious and and natural and how did that turn out how what was it like what was the initial reaction it was great we soon after a couple of years our first petamaja shop was just really 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 busy and every month it got busier and busier and busier as more and more people in the victoria area realized they could get this 
delicious food. And when we opened Pret-a-Manger number two, uh, you know, we sold sushi. Can you imagine in 1989 or whenever it was, we sold sushi. Most people had never seen it. They didn't even know what it was. Uh, and then we sold, we imported these fantastic croissant and pain au chocolat and Danish pastries, which we baked in the shop. And they were incredible. So we always just tried to do um, the best, best food we could, but for prices which most people could afford. It, it sounds quite easy, doesn't it? It sounds quite obvious, but actually... No, it doesn't. I think... It's not that I obvious. Remember, I remember uh, when I moved to this country 30 years ago, you didn't see anything interesting on the street, you know. And of course, you know, coming from India where, you know, there's street food uh, everywhere. Yeah. There's food available at every corner, at every price. This was quite a daunting place. The thing is that, you know, people forget very quickly what we had before and you know now you know it's of course you know we are just so for most and a lot of younger people they think oh we Pratamonche has been here forever because you know you kind of feel it's very much part of what you know you've grown up with which is not the case and I can imagine how hard that was what I'm interested now is on you know the second project that you are still involved with which is Itsu but here the situation is very different you're coming into an almost oversaturated uh, lunch market, very different from when you started. There you were almost educating people on this kind of new concept of eating good quality food. I want to know, you know, what was the thinking behind Itsu, you know, and why why did you start Itsu? Well, there, there are a number of reasons. Let's start with my absolute obsession and fascination with with Japanese and food, which you enjoy eating, you know, in Thailand, Vietnam, Korea, but especially Japan. I, I visited the country many times, and I'm absolutely in awe of its food, its culture, and its design. So that started many, many years ago. During this time, during the the 90s and 2000s, Pret-a-Manger became more and more successful as an early morning concept. We started doing very good breakfast and coffee, and it wasn't really a place which you went to for supper. It was very, very much a, a, a takeaway lunch place. Whereas it too has slowly developed now tremendously into into hot food and something you can eat in the evening. And that's probably the main massive difference between the two. The menu of Itsu is rooted in, 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 in Japan and Korea and Vietnam. And, and it's much, most of our, nearly half of all our sales now are in the evening. It's also very specific, that type of food. You know, we work, you know, you eat with chopsticks. We work very, very hard to avoid, we don't deep fry. We don't do breakfast. We don't sell coffee, really. It's, it's um, very, very focused. And clearly, a great many people are uh, switching to it and enjoying it. Has it been harder to, to find a niche for Itsu? Because now, of course, you know, it wasn't like when you started Pret Manger, where you didn't have that much competition. No, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, having said that, when we started Pret Manger, we had to invest enormously in the development of the skills of our, of our staff. We had to start from scratch about trying to understand how important it was that they were proud uh, and, and, and well coached and really motivated. So we really spent 20 years learning about the psychology of how to look after our staff. We also, you know, were in an environment where I think we were paying 14% interest rates back then. So there were many headwinds against Pret-a-Manger's success. It wasn't straightforward. It's you... Um, Itsu's average spend is still seven pounds. So we opened recently three new Itsu's, 
really next door to famous fast food places like Kentucky Fried Chicken or McDonald's. And we're finding a great many people are switching to try and find a more nutritious diet. So they want to eat vegetables, they want to eat brown rice, they want to eat steamed protein, not deep fried. Um, so actually, in a way, it's, it's, right, it's, it's kind of right for the time, I think. Uh, certainly that's what we're seeing. Who is your... I know that, you know, it's been a while since, I mean, you have left the actual management in Pratt, but who was your perfect client or, or, your, or your target client? Oh, in that's it. Yeah. And who is, who is your target client now in Itsu? That's an incredibly good question because my target client for years and years at pret manger was just somebody who valued the food they ate and they valued their time and they valued the things which we at Pret-a-Manger valued, which was affordability, quality, freshness. So do you know that the great joy of, of, the, of Itsu and Pret-a-Manger was seeing a huge variation of people visiting us? You know, some people, your, your listeners, a great many of them actually like and enjoy and value food. But you know, they're every, they're, a great many people don't. So it really isn't about how much money they have or where they're from. It's about do they value nutrition and food? So Pret-a-Manger opened up to a whole world of people of all, just from all over society, um, young, old, rich and poor, but they valued food. And it's used the same. It's used more about people who value the nutrition they put in their, their body. They don't particularly want to eat mass-produced pretty uh, fried food day in, day out. So it's for people who are trying to eat more fresh, uh, healthier food, uh, but also people who are fascinated by the flavors of, of, of that area of the world, of, of, of Vietnam, Korea, Thailand, and Japan. So it's a hugely fast-growing market, actually. We opened a, an Itsu last week in Bath, and it was incredibly successful. I think 400 people were in the queue on the first day. Wow. That's exciting. <laughs> yes, yes, it is exciting. I mean, especially... Uh at the time that we are now. And so, of course, you know, my next question is about, you know, the pandemic and the yes. lockdown. And I first want to ask you something as someone who, you know, has, you know, understands uh, the, the, you know, you understand what's happening to food, to people, the economy in this country. I want to ask you, what do you think there is going to be a long term lingering impact in on the high street and in the economy and how people eat uh, because of what has happened with COVID over the last year? Is Or is it just going to be something when it's over, it's over and people will just go back to normal? What do you think? Well, I hope people, lessons will be learned. I definitely think about the value of better nutrition. There's no doubt the problem with better nutrition, as you know, and we all know, and your listeners know, that it can be very time-consuming and expensive to make really healthy, good food, um, particularly time-consuming. Um, but clearly, COVID, we all know how important it was and how, how important it is to be healthy. So I think on that, uh, for that, it's, it's, it may have taught a great many people to, to be more, slightly more careful about what they eat. But it's time-consuming to make healthy, delicious food. It's very time-consuming. And it's, we've worked over the last 18 years to find ways of making, you know, we are able to, to produce really good food at £6.99. 
our veg mix, our, our medleys, all, all the things we do, our, our gyoza, our dumplings, for instance. I think they're 226 calories for eight. You know, this is, uh, once you dip them in these sauces, um, they're great. I mean, there's, we've got a long way to, to, to go. Uh, it's going to be a tricky road to, to eat better in this, in this country, as, as we've seen in America. The whole world's moving, sadly, to, to what we could call lazy food which is not particularly good for you. But I'm very excited about where it's used position here. And it's not been easy. It's taken us 18 years to develop this menu of um, brown rice and vegetables and steamed, ch steamed chicken and fish. It's not been easy. So I think COVID may have given us all, some of us anyway, a, sh uh, you know, a shot in the arm to wake up and try and eat better, which is perhaps why it's used so packed with people. I don't know, partly. But I definitely think COVID's had an effect. Of course it has. No, it has. And I think that, you know, um, in anyone who, uh, you know, and a lot of us were living on social media during that time of lockdown, the number of people who were cooking some for the first time, quite clearly looking at some of the dishes they were putting up that they had cooked, you know. But there was this yeah. kind of big push towards, you know, uh, cooking uh, comfort food, not necessarily fatty rich food but really food that was healing nourishing so yeah i mean that's quite optimistic that you know if if that continues and people actually because they've done it themselves might value value uh you know a dish that's been prepared for them where they don't have to do the washing up or the cooking or the preparing pre preparation for it i think that might be quite uh, quite good but there is of course you know and you know i'm i I see this every day now as a restaurateur. There is this kind of huge crisis with a lot of stuff that we order not being delivered. Uh, we can't find staff. Uh, I think everybody cannot find staff. And I think that, you know, I'm not sure how that is impacting, uh, you know, a place like Itsu. Are you having issues with delivery? Are you having issues with staffing, finding, finding staff? Yes, of course we are. Um... The whole hospitality industry has been knocked to pieces by this. Uh, and it's very difficult to know in the next three years what's going to happen. I just don't know. I know that, um, obviously, it goes without saying, if you treat your staff very well, if you invest in them, if you look after them, uh, if you pay them well, they will stay and they will do a wonderful job for your customers. But that is easier said than done. And we've gone from having a great many young people who wanted to come to this country and work and learn to speak English, and uh, particularly people from the hospitality industry in Europe who were great, um, to having almost nobody. So yes, it's a, it's a time of great, great concern. And I, and I know hundreds, thousands of restaurants can't find staff. So it's a big problem. And of course, you know, apart from not being able to find staff, we, we can't, we're not guaranteed supplies. And can't find supply, I know. And, and it, the cost it, of our materials are going up and up and up and up. The cost of labor is going up and up and up. What we don't want is it to have to cost more because people's wages generally aren't really going up. So we don't all have a ton of money to go out and spend more in restaurants. So I am very worried. It's terribly important that we can eat well without having to spend a bomb. And already eating out well is terribly, it's pretty expensive, as you know. 
Yes. And also, I mean, I've always loved uh, it to just the kind of the way it's been put together. It's not look, doesn't look too poncy, but it's kind of, it looks inviting and interesting. And I think that's really nice. That's, is that something that you also spend a lot of time focusing on? And what does a package look like? And how, how is the food presented? Oh, yeah. I work with a lot of very talented people here. And we, I love design, don't you? I think, I think design is much, much more important than uh, we, we, we often think. Beautiful, beautiful. There's so much pressure often, isn't there, on um, making things cheap. But uh, we, we try and get the balance right. So, you know, all the fresh orchids and the beautiful wood and the lovely floors. We, we really, really try and build it so, so it lasts 20 years. And I think our customers notice that. And if they have to pay 10p more, they will. They don't mind that 10p. They'd rather pay 10p more and have something beautiful than, than save 10p and have it ugly and cheap and nasty. So I think design is very, very, very important. Design of everything, whether it be packaging, sustainability issues, um, and the beauty of the, the environment. Very important. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. You're listening to The Business of Food with Asma Khan, brought to you by Distill Ventures. To apply to Distill Ventures Pre-Accelerator or to begin your journey in creating a new drinks idea, head to www.distillventures.com now. Talking, I mean, all the points you've raised, uh, you know, I, I've, I've aware of your skinny popcorn and how popular it is uh, on the other side of the pond. Well, would love to know... Where next? You know, what What are the new areas that you're looking at? What do you think are the trends? Where do you think food that you actually can buy, like it's soup, Pret-a-Manger, what is going to happen next? What is your gut feeling? And what is your kind of prediction on how you see this country eating in five years' time? Okay, wow, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. Well, I think we're going through a bit of a crisis at the moment because of the result of, of, of Brexit and this frightening situation of having no young, keen staff to work and cook and prepare food. Uh, you know, you've got to remember a great, great many people used to come from Spain and France and Italy to learn to speak English for a couple of years. They, they, were, they became the bedrock of our movement in the whole, the last 30 years of the improvement of our food. So I'm really scared about losing them. But we'll have to struggle on and do our best. A great many people from this country now travel and they've enjoyed better food. They've enjoyed the, the beauty of food. And so they're going to demand more, which is good. That is good. So let's hope we continue on a journey of eating better in this country. But um, we've been eating for millions of years as humans. So I don't think things change overnight. I think um, Itsu's role, our role here at Itsu is we have a lot of um, things we're working on now uh, with our grocery business I work with some of the most talented food development people in the country um, and we are developing I think we have about 10 new extraordinary lines of food we're, we're releasing over this next two years um, all Asian inspired all quite healthy clean deck beautiful food but it takes us about three or four years to develop each line so we're doing quite a lot. We are opening more issues all over the country, slowly but surely. So I hope they will be visited by a lot of your listeners and the general public who are looking for lighter, healthier food. But in the meantime, I think a lot of us 
a lot of us struggle with this, this time and value thing. If food goes up, if restaurants become too expensive, it's going to be very sad. I really hope they don't. But I hear what you say. I know what it's like. It's Good food is very, can be very time-consuming to make. And ingredients are not cheap. Good ingredients are not cheap. Processed food is, is, is um, not what we, we need. We don't need more processed food. We need less. So I am, uh, whilst I'm worried, I'm also very excited about Itsu's future. Very, very, very excited. You know, our dumplings, we launched dumplings a few years ago, and now we're now selling millions and millions and millions of, of these delicious dumplings. Same with even something as odd as seaweed. Whoever would have thought crispy seaweed would, would have a market here, but it's enormous. There's so many good, exciting things coming, coming up. That's actually is, is interesting. I mean, I remember being quite horrified when I moved to this country, you know, and my first encounter with some of the things that were unusual, which I hadn't seen in India, like, you know, Tara Masalata, which I was thinking, oh, wow, I mean, what is this? But, you know, it it is from that to so much, you, you see the world on the streets yes. of London, which is very, very exciting. And this has always been, and I've always said, you know, London is the food capital of the world. You have you know, people who have traveled, as you mentioned, and also food entrepreneurs who have traveled and are coming in here, not like, oh, I think it's a great idea, I want to set up a food business. But for those people who are actually setting up businesses, and you feel this in the, you know, you need to know who the founder is, where the passion is, where this is, what worries me that, unfortunately, parallel to people like, like you, uh, and, you know, possibly like me, you know, who are doing this because they love food and they want to cook and they want to, you know, spread the kind of joy of the food that they they love. There are a lot of London restaurant scene, food scene is also being set up and run by people who are, you know, venture capitalists. I have nothing against them, but, you know, they see this as a business prospect. And that, I think, is something quite hard because when things get tough, you know, I, I always worry that, you know, those with the passion and the dreams, will they get crushed by the men in suits and calculators who just do the numbers better, who can negotiate better deals, who are more commercially able to get the right places because they know the, how to speak the language to mm. the landlords. Well, I, I, my answer to that is no, because I remember when I was young, I knew nothing about business. I still don't really know anything about business now. So I don't think so. I, I think that... Uh, you know, all of your listeners and all of us who eat food, we are professional food eaters. We eat, if we're lucky enough here, three times a day. So we appreciate when something's good. And what makes something good is the passion and love and the care of what goes into it. And as long as we can tell the difference between good and bad, there's unlimited potential for people in the food business. If anything, it's the suits which give us the opportunity to, to be great because it's the suits who are often lazy, uh, greedy, uh, and they make, they're the very people who give us the opportunity to do something better. I was, I was in Greece on holiday, and every single day I ate different taramasalata. It's funny you mentioned that. Every single taverna we went to, I'd always, always have taramasalata. And you know, it tasted completely differently, different in every place. Every place had its own way of making its taramasalata. And it went from not very good to pretty good, to in one case, absolutely mesmerizing. And that's the beauty of food. If, you, if, you, if you're prepared to love it enough, you can carry on working at it to create something beautiful. 
So there's always opportunity. It's the suits who give us the opportunity to do something well with our mass-produced stuff. Um, <laughs> it's great that they're there with their, with their poor quality and their boring stuff. Um, <laughs> It's been great speaking to you, Julian. And the thing is that I think that, you know, we will wait to see the new range. I personally am very excited because, uh, you know, it, it's it's the kind of thing that we really need, you know, this kind of passion-driven excitement, innovation. And also, you know, the idea that, you know, you, you make it accessible, the food is accessible to everyone. Because one problem is that a lot of very good food, nutritious, high quality, is extremely expensive and in intimidating places where you feel, oh my God, everything's so expensive, I'm not going to go in there. And the fact that it's Suze on the high street and you can just walk through the doors and you're very welcome, irrespective of who you are, I think that is something that I love about going to Itsu as well as going to Pratamorje. And it has been a real privilege speaking to you. I just want to give you the last word. I wanted to ask you, you know, how you see things for yourself in a decade's time. Where do you think you're going to be? Oh, that's interesting. I think um, I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky that already two of my children work with me. So nothing in the whole world is more pleasurable than working with your, your family and your children. So I hope we'll carry on inspiring. I work with so many talented people. I hope my only job is to give them the confidence and the freedom to, to develop their own to their full potential. And with that will come remarkable food products. And we'll break down more and more barriers. So it's a combination of watching them grow, building remarkable products, and at the same time allowing, in my case, my children to, uh, to really contribute, you know, trying to do everything we possibly can to help people eat well. And it's it's a combination of those things. And so I think Itsu, Itsu has a remarkable future because, because of the people I work with, really. That's great to hear. And I'm very happy your fam, your, you have children working with you. I'm trying to convince mine to work with me. And I know that makes a big difference. Uh, it's been wonderful speaking to you, Julian. Thank you so much for your time. Not at all. Thank you. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. You're listening to The Business of Food with Asma Khan, brought to you by Distill Ventures. To apply to Distill Ventures Pre-Accelerator or to begin your journey in creating a new drinks idea, head to www.distillventures.com now.